0: Welcome back to call and shots. This is Seth Partnow. I am joined today by, uh, a, a, a luminary in the, in the, the, the NBA writing world, uh, Howard Beck, senior writer of sports illustrated, who in part is coming on to talk about a new project that he was a part of. Uh, why don't I let you describe kind of the, the, the book that, that came out. We're recording this on Thursday. It came out on Tuesday of this week.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Seth, and thanks for the plug for the book. Um, thanks for the kind introduction as a luminary, and now it got me thinking about, you know, just etymology and stuff. Do I actually have to, like, be, like, illuminated? Do I have to shine a light? Uh, do I – I don't – I don't know. I'm, I'm not i am not one of people that they generally consider to be, like, you know, like the, the, the uh, bright personality. I can be a little curmudgeonly, you know, as, as a cynical journalist type. So I don't know how much lumen I can bring to the luminary. Anyway, um <laughs> – The book is The Greatest Show on Earth. It is um, collaboration between Sports Illustrated, my employer, and Triumph Books. It's really freaking cool. So let me just say this. Um, I grew up on Sports Illustrated. I'm now working for Sports Illustrated, which is a great thing in in itself for me. But this book, these are the writers that so many of us grew up on. And so two great things about this book. If you love the Lakers or if you just love basketball history, and then you want to see the greatest writing about it, this book has Frank DeFord, one of the greatest sports writers of just ever, period. Um, Jack McCallum, Phil Taylor, Lee Jenkins, Chris Ballard. I mean, so many of the people that I have always looked up to in this business, and they, they are writing the stories of all the great players in Laker history. Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, Kareem, Magic, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, of course. Um, and I got to write the intro. They invited me to write the forward, which was really, really freaking cool. Um, and just an honor. So, uh, the book is out now. Um, you can, I believe find it just about anywhere, but there's also, uh, I got a, 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 pre-sale price that I believe is still good through mid-December. So if you go to triumphbooks.com and you do the search for greatest show on earth, you'll find it there. And then you can enter, uh, Lakers 30 at checkout for a 30% discount, which is, uh, which is pretty cool too. So, uh, very excited about the book.
0: If I may, while you're, while you're at Triumph Books, uh, check out the, uh, the paperback edition of the Midrange Theory, which also came out on, on Tuesday. Uh, but that's, that's yes. not here another there. I, 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 will say in addition to the, 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 great writing, I mean, you know, I think something that drew us all to Sports Illustrated, and I agree with you, like Sports, like I'm, I'm so happy to have Sports Illustrated celebrated because, the illustrated part the, the 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 book is absolutely gorgeous i mean uh, you know the the photography that's been in 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 sports illustrated over the years is of course you know set standards um and it and really um so i mean i think that's i i, I don't think it should be undersold just how as a you know from a visual standpoint how how you know well it captures kind of the history of the game um no no question And certain sort, sort of i mean the, the, as an aside kind of My one of my favorite things that happened in my term with the term with the Bucks is when when we had the game that we played at the old arena with the mecca floor, and I was sitting in the stands for that game, and I was like, it looks like I'm sitting in a 1975 Sports Illustrated cover, and (laughs) and that was and and that was just and, and and that 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 made the game feel very special because in the way that you know big sports moments kind of from you know we're reasonably the same age big sports moments of our, you know, youth, adolescence, and early adulthood seem to come to life uh, through, you know, being illustrated in Sports Illustrated.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and you're right to highlight the photography, too. Um, among them being the cover itself, which is Kobe jumping into Shaq's arms, which is just such a, a joyous moment, and, and now a bittersweet one with Kobe gone. Um, but also, you know, for a generation of Laker fans that, you know, that is kind of one of the ultimate symbols of, of, you know, and we will talk about the Lakers and Lakers exceptionalism and and Laker greatness and Laker legacy. But um, to me, uh, because I I was there then and I was covering the team then um, there's just so much in, in that image of of Kobe and Shaq's arms. And that is that image in particular, you can't tell from this photo uh, because of the way it is, uh, you know, kind of zoomed in and, and, Cropped, but that was the first championship. When he jumps into Shaq's arms, that was the championship over the Pacers in 2000, which you know kicks off that that era, that dynasty. Um, and there, I, there's just the, the pages are filled with just so many amazing photos from uh, the SI Annals um, and going all the way back too. So that's one of the cool things about this is that you know it is a 75 year uh, history. So there's there's covers from over the decades. There's photos from over the decades. Um, and there's there's 15 stories that are reprints from the magazine, but then there's also just a lot of other stuff, so that it becomes almost like, um, just kind of a a, a Lakers compendium. And uh, anyway, it it's very cool. I highly recommend it to folks. I would recommend it even if uh, I didn't write the forward.
0: <laughs> so you you broached the topic, and so uh, as someone who did not grow up a Lakers fan, um, my my I have family ties uh, back east to a team that, uh, wears green. So there's a little bit of, (laughs) (laughs) um, you mentioned the, the, the notion of, of Lakers exceptionalism and, um, you know, as someone who, who sort of, uh, I think, I mean, you acknowledged it in, in your introduction and it's, it's something that having lived in and around the the Lakers, it seems like you probably have, um, a well-rounded view of, you know, the, the truths and myths of it. Um, it, do I have that right? Is it like, can you, can you speak on, on sort of, you know, the areas of, well, yeah, that's kind of true. And you know, that's a little bit of stories we're telling ourselves
1: about the idea of Lakers exceptionalism yeah, or just, or, yeah. or, or
0: just the, the, or not just the idea of it, but the, the sort of the practice of it, like, you know, on some level, good thing will happen to us because we're the Lakers. That's kind of true as, as it seemed, uh, and then there's sort of the, the, the flip side of that is good things deserve to happen to us because we're the Lakers.
1: I think there's all of that, Seth. Um, so background, I covered them for seven years, 1997 to 2004. Did not grow up in L.A., so I, I was not um, – I came in as an outsider, which I think is a healthy thing, especially when you're covering a team that does have such a rich history and, and a deserved reputation for being, you know, one of the great sports franchises in North America – but I came in from the outside, so I was not raised on the mystique of the Lakers. Um, in fact, as a kid growing up in the Bay Area, I was raised to you know, despise all things L.A. Uh, I, I got over it once I moved to L.A. Um, as, as an adult. Um, but the Lakers exceptionalism thing, sometimes it's li- it's little subtle thing. So one of the things I noticed in covering the Lakers for those seven years, while other teams would go to some grand extremes and some very creative extremes, to, say, promote their players for various postseason awards, sixth man of the year, MVP, coach of the year, rookie, all that stuff. The Lakers never did that. And there's a couple of reasons you might not want to do it. Maybe you just don't want to spend the money. Maybe you don't think it's that important. But And granted, it was a different era, right? Now, teams these days want to go to extremes just to show their players, here's what we're doing for you, even if sometimes it's ludicrous. Um, And some of the promotions over the years have been... (laughs) rather ludicrous. The Lakers didn't do any of it. And my, my sense of it was basically, we don't have to. Shaq is MVP. And if you guys don't see it, well, whatever. We're not going to try to convince you Shaq is MVP. And Shaq won the one MVP. Now, would he have one other, would he have won MVP multiple times if the Lakers had done more campaigning for him? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. The fact that they didn't think they needed to do it at all for him, for Kobe, for Phil Jackson, for Coach of the Year, for any of their players for any, can- any any particular awards, is part of Lakers exceptionalism. We don't need to do it because we're the Lakers. Similarly, in all the years I lived in L.A., and this may have changed. I've been gone a long time. I left in 2004, uh, and I live in New York now. But in all my years out there, I never noticed a single ad for the Lakers that was not a, t- a uh, TV ad. So their TV partners at that time, KCAL9 or... KLAC, the radio station, or uh, what was then Fox Sports West, um, the TV partners would have ads for follow the Lakers on our station. There were no Laker ads. There was no Laker signage around the city. They didn't need to. Now, on that part, they're right. (laughs) Their fandom, the loyalty runs deep and wide, and you, you don't need to continually cultivate it. I think there's a danger to that. Um, you know, the tail end of the Kobe years, if not for Kobe still being such a draw himself, certainly, certainly showed some, I think, vulnerability there. The Clippers are very aggressive in their backyard. Um, now I live in New York where the Nets have done everything possible to try to, to, carve out a niche for themselves. And, and I can tell you, whether it's LA or New York, if you're the Clippers and you're the Nets, you know, good luck. Um, I, I don't think there's a real true threat there, but, Look, you never know. Nothing is forever. And um, in the case of the Lakers, they had some really lean years there until LeBron decided, I want to finish my career in L.A. because my family wants to live there, and I have a burgeoning media empire there. And I, LeBron James, is one of the all-time greats, want to associate myself with the Lakers, one of the greatest franchises. But that is, that is also Lakers exceptionalism, right? That is, I want to be a Laker because they're the Lakers, not because of anything they've done recently, not because they've shown – that they are one of the most advanced or, or um, innovative franchises, but just because of who they are. It is on the name alone. They are certainly riding off the reputation. And, again, fair. Like they've, they've got all those banners hanging there. And one as recently as two years ago. And they have by far the most since 1980, by the way. We always do this thing about the Celtics and the Lakers. The Celtics won the vast majority, and this is not to dismiss the Celtics championship. How dare you. <laughs> I know, I know. I, dangerous, dangerous territory yeah. with anybody, but but per, per, maybe perhaps especially with you, given you just you displayed your family ties to the, to the Northeast and New England. But 1980 forward, the Lakers have by far the most in the NBA. It's not even close. The Celtics have, you know, fewer. Um, the Warriors, the Spurs, the Bulls, um, you know, they're all in there, but the Lakers have more. And so they have earned their reputation. They've earned their exceptionalism. They have earned the magnetism that makes somebody like LeBron James say, this is where I want to end my career. But um, there's a danger to that. And I think we have seen in recent years that the Lakers are, are not – they're not trying to be the most innovative, right? Like, whatever you might, we might want to say about – I apologize in saying this, Seth – the analytics era of the NBA, right? Um, whatever people might want to say about how Daryl Morey has done in, in Philadelphia and in, in Houston, and I use Daryl as the avatar of, of of, analytics because you know he was the first to come from that background to be a, you know a GM in this league. But whatever people may want to say about that, if you're not investing in that area, um, you're you're in trouble. Um, if you're not investing in sports science, you're in trouble. If you are not investing in player development, you are in trouble. All of these things that are newer aspects of the NBA in the last ten to twenty years. Other teams have been innovating. The Lakers have not. And they may have, may have tried to play catch-up in some of these areas, but I don't think they've been at the forefront. And I, I think that's the downside of exceptionalism, is that you, you wake up and think, well, it's fine. Talent wins more than any of these other things, and we'll just get another guy. LeBron will retire and somebody else will come. I think that's,
0: I think that's a, a, a t- tiny bit unfair uh, in, the, in only in so far in in especially in the player development era or or a, aspect, I think that's something the Lakers have have typically done okay with. I mean, you know, you look at the their record in terms of you know coming up with with good players, you know, drafting not super high or you know having players through the G League like an Alex Caruso or something like that. They've done pretty well. Are they the, are they like the Raptors or Heat? No, probably not, but they've done it's it's sort of um where it it's like that bit has been done well, but maybe kind of the integration into the you know going from the farm system to the big club as it were has maybe been the like an area where that ball has been dropped a little um if we're gonna if we're, i i would say that has to be added if we're gonna be exceedingly fair here, which I don't know why' sure. it to be, but <laughs> um. There's another word there's another word you use there that I think is explains a lot of what you're talking about that's earned. Um like I think the the you know in in business and in politics there's a the concept of earned media. We don't have to we don't have to advertise because a news story is going to be out there. Um you know I'm sure you get you know the, the, this this happens to me occasionally I'm sure it happens to you much more often is like an agent or someone will like hey you want to do a feature on so-and-so about going to this angle. And it's like, well, we don't have to, you know, if we get someone who, who works in the media to tell the story, we don't have to do it. And I think for whatever reason, um, you talk about with, with, with respect to awards or promoting the team, uh, Lakers have never needed to do that because that's for, you know, it, you know, if it, not to be base about it, but the Lakers get clicks. So, there's never been any shortage of people saying, you know, LeBron should be an MVP candidate. I don't think that, that that's, there's, they don't have to, they don't have to push that idea. It sort of comes up on its own.
1: Yeah, um, they're going to get way more than their share of coverage from all of us, um, much to the chagrin of people in other markets. You know, you, you have equal amounts of Laker fans, you know, you know, Clicking like crazy, driving it all, and then fans of other teams resenting it all, and yet still clicking and watching. Right? Like if you don't like the fact that you know ESPN or Fox Sports or any of our you know print outlets, whatever, are, are spending too much time talking about LeBron and too much time talking about now the Russell Westbrook conundrum, or you know whatever, you have only yourselves to blame, folks, um, because we are living in an era of media uh, relying heavily on the analytics too. And what the analytics are are telling them is this is how to get people to keep tuning in or how to get people to keep clicking. And I don't know what those numbers are. I don't want to know what those freaking numbers are, frankly. And there's a lot about the way our media ecosystem has evolved, uh, if you can call it evolution, in recent years that troubles me greatly. I don't think we should be just catering to, pandering to, whatever we see clicking and whatever the analytics department in any given media outlet says, Oh, Hey guys, this is what everybody's clicking on. We should do something on it. If we're not already, that's not, that's, that's not a healthy way of, of covering anything. Um, Nevertheless, (laughs) my point stands um, those, that dynamic exists because you all, the readers, the listeners, the fans, um, you keep chasing it and, and, and tuning into it. And so, uh, yeah. I'm not saying it's healthy, but it's reality. And and the Lakers—that is—and that, and that to go back to to where the Lakers uh, fit into this, they they don't have to ever pump themselves up or, or, or promote themselves or get the publicity because it, it, it's just going to happen already.
0: Sure. Um, this is maybe a left field question, but when you're you're talking about the danger of sort of. Of of seeding ground to a crosstown rival, um, the 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 uh, do you, I don't know how to what extent you follow soccer, but I think in, in the the situation in Manchester, where Manchester United is kind of one of the largest global brands in sports, but on a sporting realm, they've been easily surpassed by um, you know the. The, the unlimited checkbook of their crosstown rivals, Manchester city. Stop me. If this sounds anything like the situation in LA now, I think the difference is, is is one player deciding he wants to be a Laker has a bigger impact in basketball than it does in soccer. But I think there is some, uh, some, you, you would have to worry about what has been, traditionally been a lopsided rivalry becoming less. So if, if attention isn't paid. Um, And that's, that's probably a, that's probably a concern for much more for two years from now than it is for right now. Uh, Give, give or take two years, given where, you know, LeBron is in his career.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting Seth to, for us to like kind of think about some, you know, alternate timelines, right. Uh, We are living in an age of every movie being about the multiverse. So um, if, if, if there's another parallel universe where, you know, Kobe decides to retire sooner, right? So now the Lakers' most lean era already overlapped with a lot of, like, the Lob City era when the Clippers were, for the first time in their L.A. existence, truly good, um, you know, 50-plus win team every year, uh, you know, a, a threat to maybe make the finals, though they never did. Um, they were fun. They had personalities. And it was at a time when the Lakers were having a lean time. Now, have Kobe you know, had not decided to play 20 years and retired after 15. There was no shift during the, the, the actual timeline that we live in. But could there have been a shift if the Lakers didn't have somebody, Kobe, to still make them interesting and relevant and 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 draw people to games? Um, one of the things I remember from that era, I went out to cover a Clippers series against the Trailblazers one of those years, and I remember – while they're going to the la times website to try to find a clipper story you know as i'm jumping in the middle of this series and wanting to see their coverage and there was no direct drop down menu for clippers on the la times <laughs> website i had to go into like you know click sports and then eventually i could find a like a clippers link um but you know lakers dodgers ucla usc whatever all across and or you know or in sub menus but i could not find the clippers that easily um it, it's just still the case that they're, you know, they're, they're they're treated like, you know, kind of a second tier team. And, um, you know, okay, so that was then. We're now in the second iteration of the Clippers as a really viable, interesting, fun, and maybe even bigger threat to win the title team. Um, at a time that the Lakers have LeBron, you've got Anthony Davis, they've got some version of Russell Westbrook. They still have the outline, the vague outline of what a Laker team is supposed to be all stars and fireworks and, you know, center of the universe. Right. But the Lakers are nowhere near as good as the Clippers. Now, Kawhi is not the most magnetic personality. Um, Paul George is, is kind of understated himself, although at least a little more vocal than Kawhi. Uh, but that seems really good. Now, again, what if LeBron had retired after the 2020 championship? What if there's now an extended period here? What if LeBron had never gone there? What if LeBron just retired in, in Cleveland? Um, and we're now on year 10 or something of the Clippers being really good and interesting and very well run, by the way, I would say. Uh, but the Lakers not having had Kobe for those, those last few years where he was just kind of hanging on, you know, with some irrelevant teams and LeBron now on what might be an irrelevant team. Is there an effect of, of 10 years of that? I I don't know. I'm just asking, right? Like we, we can't, we can't possibly know what's happening in the multiverse uh, that we're not in. Um, But I wonder the same about the Nets to an extent, because the Knicks have been vulnerable for some time because they've been bad for a very long time and they've been very poorly run uh, more often than not over the last 20 years. And the Nets had an opportunity to move to Brooklyn In fact, they're celebrating their 10 year anniversary in Brooklyn right now. Um, Have they really made a dent? Somebody, um, Sean Powell from NBA TV and NBA.com was sitting next to me at the game last night in Brooklyn and and, and asked, you know, what do you, what do you think? Have the Nets really made a dent? And I said, it's hard thing to quantify. I'm not sure it's, it's that big of a dent. Uh, I I don't think 10 years later, the Knicks are, are, are worried about losing fans. And again, Here's the same thing. Downside of exceptionalism. Downside of a loyal, massive fan base that is that is just so invested that you never fear losing them means you can make a lot more mistakes and maybe not do things the right way.
0: The, I guess hearing you say all that, there was a, there's a line from uh, "You'll Be Back" in Hamilton: uh, "Oceans rise, <laughs> empires fall," and that's sort of it's not it's it, it's, yeah. it's uh, you know. I think the, the, the counterfactuals of, you know, of one of those Lob City teams breaking through of, you know, Kevin Durant's wearing, wearing the right size shoes instead of instead of half a size, too big shoes, or like them not having the season from hell last year. Um, I think the, while the Knicks were kind of going through it, Um, I think those are some interesting counterfactuals that, that again, we don't know. And, and, like, like you said, if, if you know, 10 years from now, if the Clippers have continued to be, you know, because Steve Ballmer has been willing to spend unlimited money and, you know, the Lakers will be asset poor, um, you know, as if when and as their their main stars age out, uh, there, there's going to be a couple of years where we're going to see, I think, what that what that sort of uh, that that shift in the geology brings. But it hasn't well, happened yet.
1: Yeah, and and Seth, actually, let me just reference back to the book cover for the Laker book that I was talking about at the outset of our discussion for a minute. Kobe and Shaq's arms, right? 2000 championship. The other highlight or or, or hallmark moment of that run was, of course, the lob. Kobe to Shaq against the Trailblazers in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Apologies to all the Trailblazer fans out there. Um, That moment, I thought of even at that time or in the wake of it, as I finally got off deadline and could catch my breath and think about what I'd just seen, they're a bunch of like 10-year-old kids in L.A., 10-year-old kids maybe somewhere even though somewhere on the other side of the country who were watching that game, and that was the moment that made them Shaq and Kobe fans or Laker fans. Like, holy crap, that was exciting. That was a thrill, that lob, that moment, and then that championship. And the reason I think of it that way is because my own formative moment, I always point to it as the moment where that indirectly launches me to, to, to the career I have now, is that when I was 13 – is when Joe Montana hit Dwight Clark for what we call the catch. I'm a Bay Area kid. That's where I grew up. And as a Niner fan, like that is the moment. That's the moment that cements it, that makes it like your your mind is blown. You're emotionally invested. This is I'm ride or die with these guys. Um, and when I thought about the, the lob from Kobe to Shaq, I thought about the catch. I thought about if you're a kid, sometimes it's a singular moment or a single team, a single season, certain personalities that – that hook you, and so to your point about Durant, if Durant's you know shoe size is a half size smaller, if the Nets win a championship, how many kids in New York or even beyond New York who just like the Nets uniforms because they look cool, all of a sudden that's the moment that kind of seals your 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 bond to that that franchise and that team. Um, if the Clippers, if Lob City had broken through at a time that the Lakers were having you know their their rough spell. Um, and a bunch of kids in LA might just kind of drift that direction. Like it, it's sports isn't logical, you know, and, and it's not always nothing is, is forever. And so, um, I, I do, I do wonder and I do think it's fair to wonder about those things, especially for these two franchises. If we're going to play them off of each other, the Clippers and the Nets about, you know, having this uphill battle in their respective cities. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in a couple of years when the Clippers open their brand new arena in Inglewood in what used to be the Lakers true home. The Lakers, you know, played at the forum for all those years at, at, uh, at the forum in Inglewood and the Clippers are going to basically be, you know, in, in that vicinity. So, um, I'm curious what's, what happens when the Clippers now have a, a distinct identity in that regard too, their own building.
0: So last, last sort of Lakers kind of aura question. Then I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of the season because hey, we're playing basketball now. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> So now we, we are at a time of, there's been a lot of, of uh, sort of, uh, of, of prestige TV, like dealing with the Lakers. I mean, Kobe's heavily fe- uh, featured in the Redeem team. Uh, there's the, the, the Lakers kind of in-house doc. There's, uh, there's the, the, some, the, the uh, somewhat controversial, I suppose, winning time, which, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm, a, I'm, I'm pro that show. Um, a uh, one of the producers uh, was in my wedding, so I have to be. Oh, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm very I'm very pro that. Well, you, you know, cause, you know Anchorage, Alaska, being the hotbed of Hollywood now <laughs> that it is. Um, yes. Uh, shout out to Pete Feldman. Um, but is there any is is the is there any danger of the sort of the constant nostalgia for that versus Hey, we're getting thirty seven again 37 national tv lakers games this year and i don't you don't want to overreact to one game but they're gonna be bad is that like is is there is that it it can kind of go two ways it's either like that can prop it up because yeah right now we're not great but look at how look at where we used to be versus was not like it was
1: so it's funny um there was also a Magic Johnson documentary this year. Right. There's also now I just got the press release before we started recording that there is a Shaq documentary coming <laughs> to HBO. Um, the 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 idea of the Lakers being overexposed um, is 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 not far fetched at all. Um, I
0: take it as a given, but that's, but that's yeah. me being, you know, that, that's me being a hater. So.
1: But it's almost. But I mean, look. In the past, people could just complain about, how oh, there's too much coverage of, of Kobe and Shaq, or too much coverage of LeBron, or too much coverage of the Lakers in general." Now it, it really is like it's now. It's not even just they're on national TV more than anybody else, whether they're good, bad, or otherwise. Now it's there's 17 dueling documentaries, and you know, Winning Time, which is not a documentary, of course, uh, fictionalized series of about them, but it is like it is. It, it's it's almost too much, right? Um, and uh, I, I, can, I can imagine for people who are NBA fans who are not Laker fans, just being like, you know, enough already. Um, but again, if people aren't subscribing and watching and reading and selling or listening and everything else. Then you know, it, it would it would collapse of its own accord. Uh, people, it's, it's a love hate thing. There is an insatiable appetite, seemingly. For all things Lakers, including the book "The Greatest Show on Earth" from Sports Illustrated and Triumph Books,
0: which is which is why we're we we're talking, of course. Um, I mean, not that we wouldn't be talking, about this, but it's the the impetus for this particular discussion. Yes,
1: um, I just had to throw that in
0: there. No, I, you know, I uh, apologies for 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 not plugging more sooner, but um,
1: <laughs> uh, so I guess
0: I mean, there's no you know going from the Lakers to this NBA season other than saying. Uh, that, like, you, you, you worry for them unless they're able to, to pull off one one of the big rumored trades. Um, you know we're we're starting what I think is one of the more interesting NBA seasons in prospect of of my lifetime of my fan lifetime. Um, in that you don't really know what to expect, and there are are more teams that, not just like talk themselves up as having a shot, but more teams that I think from a a more objective standpoint. Hey, things go right. We're right there. Um, Is it, do you, is, is that, are you approaching this season that way as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, It's interesting how quickly we went from, Oh man, there's just, there's no suspense in the NBA season. It's just the Warriors every year. And for a while it was, you know, uh, you know, we had eight straight years of LeBron in the finals with two different franchises. So every year was going to be LeBron and somebody in the finals, and it was Warriors and somebody, and then it was Warriors and LeBron in the final. And we went from all that kind of inevitability and people being kind of you know feeling a sense of almost dread about it to to the last couple of years and, and now this season where it, it just feels absolutely wide open. Like, you know, the Warriors are defending champs and could very well Get back there. But they're not some runaway favorite. In fact, a lot of people picked the Clippers instead in the West. And, you know, if people want to make a case for the Nuggets when healthy or the Suns, assuming they've, they've gotten over all the, the weirdness surrounding them, make those cases, and, and, and it's hard to argue against them. Um, maybe the Grizzlies break through. And in the East, you know, the, the Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Miami, sort of the Nets maybe kind of. Um, not sure. Um, like it's, it's for most of the, the, this is my 26th season. And for, I would guess that for most of the 25 years, every preseason had three to four teams that had a plausible case to be made to win the championship. And right now it feels like there's eight to 10 and it's not, it's not a stretch. And if the Cavaliers somehow had everything break, right. And a couple of the, the favorites, had something terrible happen and the Cavs somehow ended up in the finals. I I don't even know that we should be shocked. Um, If the Pelicans ended up there somehow.
0: Yeah. I was just (laughs) going to say the Pelicans. What's that? How about the Pelicans
1: Cavs finals, by the way, Uh, the NBA, NBA marketing department will just shut down forever with those two markets.
0: I, I I wonder about that. Um, This is, this has been a sort of a longstanding concern is, is, You know, you mentioned like the fact that Paul George isn't like one of the biggest stars and like not just like from a a media standpoint stars is a I think is is an indictment of how the NBA like not just the the league itself, but kind of the ecosystem has has failed because, you know, on great teams um, doesn't lack personality has a photogenic game, but because he was his best teams were in Indiana never really got the, the, you know, in wrestling terminology, the push. Uh, Giannis has has gotten to the point where he's kind of broken through that. Um, uh, But even like, I sort of feel like, you know, and maybe this is partially by his own uh, preferences, even Nikola Jokic doesn't have kind of the profile that, you know, again, very, like, obviously great player, two-time MVP deservedly, very uh, aesthetically pleasing game. I don't know. It's uh, uh, the, like if you if you can't do something with this Pelicans team and Zion Williamson, what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, Seth. Um, and I you know, it, we shouldn't treat it as a given that uh, a star in a small market cannot break through. I mean, besides that, listen, take, take Zion, for instance, who's played, you know, uh, prior to last night, 85 games over his first three seasons. Been hurt a lot, but he's this really charismatic personality with a really charismatic game. He's exciting to watch. He's got a great smile. Um, he's got an earnestness about him. He's he's charming. Like you know, I just did the SI you know NBA preview issue cover story on, on Zion. Spent some time with him in Florida in September. He's very charming. He's very charismatic. He's very marketable. And he's he's had some I would say not the greatest commercials. Not his fault. That's the the writer's fault. But um, but he could he could he exceed, or he can um, he does he does not need to be beholden to the, the, the smallness of the New Orleans market, right? Like he is already a national figure. LeBron became a national figure in Cleveland, and it didn't matter that he was in Cleveland. Like there's there are plenty of examples of it. I don't think it's um, it, it's a it's a you know it's faded that, that you can't break out. Someone's going to want to, somebody has to want to market Jokic, and Jokic has to want to be marketed. Like, he's actually funny. He's actually got a a, a fun personality. And over the years, I think, you know, his English has developed to the point where, like, there's no problem there, but he could certainly even play off of that, right? Where he's got, you know, the accent. And, you know, Yao Ming, when Yao was uh, with the Rockets, Yao had a bunch of national commercials where he kind of played up language barrier stuff and, and just cultural differences just to have fun with it. And they were fun commercials. I remember, like, you know, Yao and Charles Barkley in a commercial. Like, yeah. Jokic could be that. Um, Boban has done that. Boban has done Boban's done that brilliantly. Like, shout out to the Pepperidge Farm goldfish people for those commercials, right? Like, um, I don't remember if I'm missing any other ones. But, I you know, he's, what, he's done State Farm also. like, But those are funny. Those are good commercials. Like, Jokic could be doing it. Maybe he just doesn't want to. And does that now then – inhibit a little bit of the Nuggets profile and the Nuggets profile as a national team and their marketability and the, and the desire to put them on, on more national I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting discussion.
0: So this has been more meta than actually about on the floor. The, yes. the other, the, the interesting thing is kind of the flip side of there being parody is that for there to be parody. Like everyone has to have a, of a flaw or an Achilles heel, and I feel like going into this season, that's the, like it's uh, a, a couple years ago. Going, I think the, going into the uh, kind of coming down the stretch of the, the 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 season that then ended up in the bubble. I think I ended up kind of doing the uh, vicini from uh, from Princess Bride. All the reasons why it cannot be the glass in front of me that, that you know <laughs> that for for each given team, and at the start of the season, it does feel a little bit that way, like you can go down the list like okay the uh, Eric name and I debated like the bucks are old, maybe that's a little overblown, but the bucks don't have there's not a lot of like extra ceiling that the bucks have with their roster like they're very good. And if everything, if, if everything goes to chalk, they'll be very good. And maybe that's good enough. Um, but like, okay, the Warriors have a higher ceiling, but they also have sort of the, you know, kind of the multiple ticking time bombs of, of Draymond Green, both as like, you know, from a personality standpoint, but also just from a, you know, a health standpoint, like their team doesn't kind of work as a playoff entity with, without him at a high level. Um, you know, the, 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 the 76ers, I don't know where we start with that. And and you go on down the list and there's something, it's pretty, it's not very hard to come up with a reason why any one team won't win the title.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, this is the time of year in the last several weeks, of course, uh, coming into opening night is the time of year where everybody's making their predictions. We're all asked to make predictions. We all ask each other to make predictions. And, um, you know, I, I, it's a, it's always torture for me. I don't, I, I hate making predictions. <laughs> um, and especially at a time like now, right? Like, um, it's easier to be counter to, to be, to be the, uh, the contrarian now because, uh, it's so there, there, were so many more options to pick from. I don't even know who we're being contrary to this season. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess if you're the ultimate contrarian, you're, you're, you're picking a team that's way off the board or you're, or you're going with the nets just to be adventurous, right? Like I think everything's going to be perfectly fine. Um, but there's plenty of options to pick from. um, I think, you know. I think I've lost track of my train of thought. That's what I think. What's the question again?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Just it, it's it's how to, to make sense of this uh, of this season when it's it's like you can it's much more easy to to okay these teams are all really good but here's why this team is not quite good enough.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, because these teams are all just close enough, or because they all have enough obvious flaws or seemingly obvious flaws. Um, You can talk yourself in circles and you can talk yourself in and out of a bunch of different teams. Um, And then, you know, then I start to wonder too, like, were we better off on some level where you have the big villain, right? You're either a Warriors fan or you're hating the fact that it's the Warriors every year. You're either a Laker fan for all those years, or you're hating the fact that that the Lakers keep going. LeBron, you know, obviously very polarizing and it gives everybody somebody to somebody or some team, to absolutely have an opinion on that you were rooting all completely for or, or completely against. And right now we don't even really have that. Like there's no really, there's nobody who's, a, who's a, the, the villain right now. Uh, you may have your preferences, but there's no big bad, right? There's no evil empire, um, or even a benign empire for that matter. <laughs> there's just no <laughs> empire. The warriors are a dynasty, uh, by virtue of how many championships they've won in the last several years. Um, uh, and they're trying to extend it. I guess some people might still be rooting against that, but I feel like there, there are any sense of villainy about them or the people's uh, ill feelings about them kind of ended once Durant left, and then once the Warriors fell in hard times for for a couple of years there. I, I didn't sense that people were mad about them winning again last year. They're they're like the darlings again. They've kind of regained what the the you know magic they had and the connection that they had with people with the fans beyond the Bay Area. Um, by going through what they did, I, I, I didn't sense any any resentment as they marched to the championship last year, um, because it was because it was it was kind of fun and new again. And besides that, they're just so much fun to watch. Like if you love basketball, I don't know how you can possibly root against the Warriors unless they're playing your team, right? Like they're, who who could not want to who, who could not enjoy Warriors basketball? This is um, this,
0: this, this is funny, uh, just because it, it came up in, in Clay Thompson's post game the other day. Is this is this is very reminiscent of you know and and uh, Steve Kerr has has I guess made the comparison explicitly to the team of kind of the uh, the 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 Barcelona teams of like the the you know the the twenty tens the the tiki taka Barcelona which there was a little bit of a, well if you don't enjoy this team you're just a philistine <laughs> uh, and so it's like and so on some level it's like yeah that's right on the other hand shut up <laughs> like, you know that like people don't people don't like to be told that that if you don't like this you <laughs> suck so that, that that does have a way of like almost incepting sure. a villainy into <laughs> a team. i suppose that's true i
1: said su- only only if we get uh, people who uh, who enjoy it get too <laughs> too preachy about it, it yeah. and then the, then it's the ocean. Oh, they up. haven't it's quite like, so
0: they haven't quite gone all the way like barcelona's model is is i think i'm going to i'm going to Butcher the the, the uh, translation, but I think it's mas de un club, which means more than a club, which is uh, like, oh, come on. Like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that, precious. No, no, no one, no one's gone. No one's gone quite that way about the, the Warriors. Uh, other teams that we may have discussed have, may have occasionally veered in that direction. You know, that's a, that's 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 very much kind of, uh, you know, the, the joke about, oh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a fan of the hometown team, the Lakers, Cowboys and Yankees uh, <laughs> kind of kind of bit. But yeah, um, I don't know where I'm going with this other than, you know, I, you just said how much you hate to make predictions, but you know, if you had to, and this is hard because I think that I'm more like, this is the year I'm almost certainly wrong in anything I say, but I have to say something. So in that context, like who, who who do you think is the most likely two teams to make the finals?
1: So my editors made us do our predictions. Um, and I being a, you know, decent employee. I, 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 you know, typed some things and sent them to them. Um, and I went with Clippers over Bucks, but I don't feel that confident in it, um, in part because we haven't even seen the Clippers play it. We will in a few hours here. Um, you know, they've got a lot going for them. They've got a lot of talent, um, but we haven't seen Kawhi Leonard play in a year and a half. And You know, that can go great. You know, Zion Williamson didn't play in a year and a half, and he looked phenomenal in Brooklyn the other night. And uh, Ben Simmons hadn't played in a year and a half, and he looked terrible. Um, I don't know what we'll see from Kawhi. I don't know what we'll see from the Clippers overall. I don't know if we're overestimating them just based purely on paper and, and, you know, like just the theory of the Clippers. Um, Also, by the way, there's a little bit of the nobody wants to just pick the same teams that went to the finals the year before, but – absolutely think the Warriors can make it back there and especially again you know just based on opening night which is uh, just one game but the Warriors bench looks really good um they you know, Steph is still playing like an MVP their chemistry does not seem to have been harmed in the least by the Draymond Green incident I mean there's really no good reason to pick against the Warriors uh you know, you as you alluded to earlier, we can start talking about age. We could talk about you know certain vulnerabilities in the roster, but we can we are, we can find what I just referred to generally as caveats. We can caveat almost every team that's in the discussion in both conferences. So, um, I felt a little more confident about the Clippers by a hair, maybe, than the Warriors, and also a little bit of the. Eh, let's not pick the team that already just won it, right? <laughs> it's a silly thing we do. And in the in the East, you know. I think most of us believe the Bucs were one Chris Middleton injury away from, you know, going back to the finals and maybe even repeating his champions. And, you know, it's, it's almost an article of faith at this point that, well, sure the Celtics made it. But if Chris Middleton had been healthy, and I don't know if we're being fair to the Celtics with that, but there's a fair case to be made to be fair to the Bucs. Um, and, you know, they're a team that wasn't, you know, they, they just raised their championship a year and a half ago and less than a year and a half. If they're whole, and if the age issues that, that you alluded to aren't as serious as you were also alluding to, then why wouldn't the Bucks be uh, rightful favorites in the East? I'm not quite sold on the Sixers, though I, I won't be surprised if they make it. I'm definitely not sold on the Nets. I think I will be surprised if they make it, not on talent, but just on everything else. Um, the Heat don't quite have enough firepower. So it, it's it's this thing of like just kind of crossing off teams once you've Once you've decided that, I just, there's, there's too many asterisks that I'm putting next to them, caveats for this season. And so I'm going to go with the the team that has the fewest caveats.
0: No, I think that's, I I think that's, I think the way I've described it is, um, you know, there's going to be more, probably more than one team in the East that ends up kind of on the top tier of East teams heading into the playoffs, but starting the season, only one team starts there. And, and it's going to be, there's going to be someone else with Milwaukee there, like barring injuries for the Bucs. But we just, you know, among those other teams, which is it going to be? Now, on the, the evidence of opening night, uh, Celtics look pretty good. But, you know, it's it's one game and how much of that was about the Celtics being good and how much of it was about Philly trying to figure things out and opening night being weird. Yeah. I don't know. That's why we, that's why the good news is we have, uh, you know, 81 more games and, Five more months to, to, to work through all that.
1: Even if it should really only be 65 more games, but that's Um, a whole other discussion. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, I, I, I think the, the, the concept of the in-season tournament is a, is a, uh, probably, I don't want to spring you on that as we wrap up, just because I think that's a, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, but, but, uh, because you're a soccer
1: guy. So if this is the thing. You've you've alluded to soccer a few times, made yeah. some comparisons uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, I get in, in concept, but, you know, I'm not a soccer guy. I, I feel like um, people in this country who are really into European soccer are more open to this and more enthused about it than people like me <laughs> who are like, okay, fine, you do it. I, it doesn't affect me one way or the other. I don't really care, but I also – don't really care, and I'm not sure that that I'm not sure that that many fans will like. I don't. It's hard to have a negative reaction because well, whatever. It doesn't. It's not going to cost me anything. It's not going to cost NBA fans anything. But is it really going to juice up the, the season or the game or fan interest in the way that the NBA hopes? That's the part I'm skeptical about. But yes, uh, that is probably a whole other extended conversation for another day.
0: My my two my two actual data points about it are. How good the playoff playing games are like and also uh, it's 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 a little weird, but also TBT, the basketball tournament, like Mm. professional basketball players playing single elimination with they care about is awesome. And if so, if they can like the uh, the sort of the magic asterisk about the the in-season tournament is if they care, like in TBT, these are guys who are not making NBA money playing for their share of a million dollars. That's pretty straightforward. Guys in the play, and we get to go to the play. We actually go to the playoffs if we win this. It's not that hard for it. So, figuring out how to structure it so that the players care, but if they get that right, the games themselves, will, the games will sell themselves because NBA players playing single elimination basketball while they give a shit is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the question, right? How much are they going to give a shit, and and, and we'll see. And then how much of the fans going to give a shit? I guess the fans will give a shit if the players give a shit, right? Like it's, if, it, is,
0: it, it will be compelling if the players care. I, I yeah. believe that firmly.
1: Yeah. It has to feel like something's truly at stake, and that's that's the real issue. Like, for me, it always comes back to this, which is like, what's actually at stake? Well, the, the, the David Stern Cup or whatever they're going to call it. Well, okay. Um, at at a
0: certain point, it matters because it matters. But you have to you have to do something to get it to that point.
1: Yes, yeah, sports is all an illusion, and you know we, yeah. <laughs> we just right. have to convince ourselves right. that something matters. It's true. Right.
0: Well, I, you know, at risk of of keeping you forever, so I, I, uh, I that's probably as good a spot as any to wrap. Uh, you give the book one more plug, and then we'll wrap up and uh, and thank you for coming on. No, absolutely,
1: thanks, Seth. Uh, the book again is "The Greatest Show on Earth," subtitled "History of the Los Angeles Lakers Winning Tradition." It is a seventy five year celebration of Laker greatness, essentially, but also of great sports writing, and it is 15 stories ripped from the pages of Sports Illustrated uh, from the '60s all the way through the present. So, if you want to read about Shaq and Kobe, Magic and Kareem, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain, um, all of them, it's uh, it's a phenomenal book from uh, SI and Triumph Books, and you can find it on uh, on book stands everywhere, I'm sure, bookstores everywhere, but also at triumphbooks.com. And if you do it there. Discount code LAKERS30 for the 30% discount.
0: Well, Howard Beck of SI, thank you so much for coming on, and thanks, folks, for listening. I will be back next week with more Call and Shots.